This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome back to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Nick Ashburn. And I'm Sandy Hunt. And we are keeping on, keeping on. <laughs> a little pop rock in the background. Uh, and we are, we were speaking with Sarah Collins, the Vice President of Healthcare Coverage and Access at the Commonwealth Fund. But we are shifting gears to talk about something that I really don't know very much about. And that are, that's BPO organizations, business process outsourcing. Yeah. What I like about the back-to-back nature of, of our first guest and second guest is this so far is a show for people who are decision making in their businesses, mm. whether it's about the healthcare coverage of the business, the staffing of the business. Very often, I think, you know, our show folks listen and go, that's all very well and good, but I don't work in impact. This show today is not really about you work in impact. This is you're, you're leading a business. This shows for you um, and about how you as a business leader are making impact. You're making impact in the healthcare coverage you provide or don't. You're making impact in, you know, how you hire staff, support, train your employees or not. Um, and so – This is a show for everyone, This is a Sandy. show for everybody. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> let's, let's not get carried away. Okay. <laughs> oh, who's that voice? Uh, we actually have Mike Dershowitz here in studio who's the CEO of Rethink Staffing. So welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you very much, Nick. Great to see you again. So, yeah, so we met in the fall at an event, and we were just talking about your business, and I thought it was very appropriate for Dollars and Change. Um, And obviously, you have like a broader ethos, too, around how you are a business leader. So let's first talk a little bit back about your background and, um, you know, who's Mike Dershowitz? (laughs) (laughs) So Mike Dershowitz is a native Philadelphian, which is nice. Um, He is not a Penn graduate, though he's married to one, so I I guess that counts for something. (laughs) You still get the calls from the uh, annual giving. Yes. (laughs) Your honorary. Um, Yes. So... No, I've been an entrepreneur really most of my life since I was young. And, um, you know, with most entrepreneurs, you've got successes, you've got failures, you've got, you know, near disasters or disasters. And, you know, I've I've had them all. And, uh, you know, these days I I really look at and and after really pursuing, you know, a lot of just pure profit businesses um, after some experiences overseas about five years ago, I really started changing my view. And um, that gave rise to the company I have now, which is called Rethink Staffing. Um, and so Rethink Staffing is what we call a, a social impact business. So we are a BPO business. So to explain to everyone what that is, it stands for Business Process Outsourcing. Uh, traditionally, it has been contact center or call center work. You know, hello, you know, hello, ma'am, sir, may I help you? Mm-hmm. These days, that's, that's not just on the phones, obviously. That's chat, email, uh, voice, video at some point. Um, and so, uh, but really, you can think of it as any work inside a business that tends to be lower skilled, that requires a, a computer, an internet connection, and a brain. And the nature of that work makes it portable. And so a lot of companies, especially if they have large labor needs, choose to hire an outsourcing company. You also may hear the term outsourcing. Mm-hmm. Um, hire an outsourcing company to do that type of work. Um, and, and so, Mike, one of the things I think I, I would assume, because I think it's, it's been my impression, like when you think of outsourcing, if, if you're a listener, yep. you think you're taking away jobs from us. Like if we're thinking about social impact, right? Mm-hmm. You're taking away jobs for us, but you have a very different lens or you have a I don't know if it's very different, but you have a, a different approach to this. That's right. So, you know, first of all, I, I judge everything through, you know, the lens of economics, right? And I think that's incredibly important in business. Uh, if if the economics work, if the math works, then the business will work. Uh, that's ultimately how we've arranged our society. You know, we are a market-driven society. I mean, we, globally, that's the case. Even even though China and Vietnam are, you know, are still technically communist, they are now market-driven economies. 
Um, and so, you know, for, for me, I, I've always said, look, you know, yes, you know, there is a lot of movement inside inside the labor force, inside the economy right now. And there has been over the last five decades since outsourcing really began in the 60s and 70s, which was with manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it, it, we can sit there and we can lament these macroeconomic forces and say, oh, my God, you know, they're, they're, and certainly politicians, you know, I mean, uh, you know, they, they'll take anything, you know, as grist for the mill. But um, ultimately, this is the economy. This is the world we live in. And what is important now is that we use economics to find ways to put jobs where the economics make sense and are sustainable. And I believe I, – I could be right. I could be wrong. We've got a pretty good thing going. But I believe that the outsourcing industry is actually a way to create middle-class jobs um, when you make the economics make sense as we're trying to do at Rethink Staffing. So, yes, I, I would not doubt that the jobs – we have lost jobs. You cannot argue that. But really, we're losing more jobs to robots these days you know, than we are to people in the Philippines or India or wherever else. So how do you think about the social impact of this business? Because you sort of led with that descriptor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I think of the history of manufacturing, when people mm-hmm. think about outsourcing, they often think about, you know, low, low skill jobs, uh, very low sort of quality of environment. We heard about, you know, Nike factory fires. And a lot of us have those formative memories yeah. of what outsourcing looks like and what a company's commitment to that supply <clears throat> chain is. Tell us how you are um, shifting that that perception. Well, the, the basic thing we do is is we've thrown out the concept of, you know, this business should be organized to be purely a profit-maximizing business. It is not. We are a for-profit business, and I am a capitalist. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, but um, once we dedicate the business to actually the social and economic welfare of our employees, we call our agents, we find that we are able to, to use the power of the firm to make much more impact in their lives um, when – when we then if we would have run it as a profit maximizing business like our competitors. And so ultimately what that does is when we sort of flip that paradigm of what has priority inside the business, the wonderful thing is that the results we get compared to our competitors is actually much better. So are we talking about things like employee retention and uh, productivity? Tell us about some of the things that <clears throat> being – it sounds like being good to your employees delivers, you know – yeah. Returns exactly, and thank you for reading the talking points thoroughly. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so no, I mean, so we have a, an attrition rate that is one eighth the industry average. We have a daily absenteeism rate, which is a huge problem in large mm-hmm. scale, lower skilled labor forces. Yeah. You know, of one tenth the industry average. Wow. Um, our productivity is generally thirty percent higher um, than centers where what's called where we are what's called multi-source which means you know we've got maybe 100 people and somebody you know and another vendor is 100 people um and in addition to that and this is actually the most striking point sandy which is the quality and the quality of work that our people churn out now remember you know on whole within these people's societies you're still talking about people that are struggling to get out of poverty and that's the mission of the company is to create sustainable middle class work by lifting people out of poverty. So ultimately, we've dedicated ourselves to, to being anti-poverty. Um, but we do it through these good economics. And when we apply these good economics and these principles, we get a level of work ownership and a desire for the people to be there, to actually be in the workplace, which is not if you've been to, and, and maybe you haven't, but if you've been to call centers or other service centers in the developing world, um, all of the things, you know, I mean, they are the 21st century sweatshops. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They really, really are. Yeah. Um, they're not making garments anymore. They're taking calls. So 
Go ahead, Nick. No, I, I think when we were speaking last thus fall, I think you mentioned something about that. Inter- so, like, sort of the manager employee interaction that you and how you've fostered an environment, mm-hmm. you know, a culture and an environment in your centers as well. Um, going back to like, if you go to most call centers, they feel more like a sweatshop. So you are really tackling that. So we, we, we are, and we tackle in a number of ways. The most important way we tackled is that I actually wrote a social contract with my agents. And I pledge that social, I pledge to uphold a series of 10 rights. We call it the Agent Bill of Rights. Um, and I, we have a pledging ceremony where I actually pledge to uphold these rights to these agents. And the last right which is right number 10, and I just wrote my long expose on why, you know, ABOR number 10, we call it ABOR number 10, exists is because, you know, neither management nor you shall violate these rights. And it's extremely important that management comes first and not agents are first. We, no, you have to behave well and then we'll behave well. No, we behave well first and then you have the faith to behave well yourself. And that's a big part of it. You know, people come into our environment, and I see this with managers that we hire from other BPOs, and I swear to God, it's like we need to run our own little Paris Island where we need to break them down and build them back up again into our way of thinking about prioritizing agents. And look, I'm not, again, I am a capitalist. Like I want to, you know, stand up and scream that from the rooftops. But when you do it this way, you make more money. And so tell us about, I imagine there are big things and small things at play. Is it health care coverage that's provided? Is it, you know, uh, child care on site? Or is it simply um, the, man, the, the, the way a manager communicates with their team members? Tell us about some of the big and small things that make such a material difference in attendance, productivity, satisfaction. So, you know, I mean, you know the statistics on, on why people quit jobs, right? And so it's, it's always management, really, and their immediate supervisors. So, you know, going back to this agent bill of rights, like ABOR number five is, you know, your manager shall listen to you and treat you fairly. We require managers to listen to them. I would tell you that is a quote-unquote small thing, right? Um, it doesn't seem small. It certainly isn't unimportant inside our work environment. But what is important is how we actually look holistically at the, the economic life of the, the population we're working with. Mm-hmm. And we say, okay, you know, what do they need to do to and progress? this is largely in the Philippines, yes? So right now it's largely in the okay. Philippines, right? And we'll talk a little bit later about our, our center that we're opening here in Philadelphia. And, you know, the plan this year is we'll expand in the second half of the year to Africa. Um, so, um, but in the Philippines, you know, we think about things like, yes, how bad is the healthcare system in the Philippines and where does the employer need to fill the gaps? Um, we think about transportation, right? Um, what percentage of our people are using public transportation versus what percent are using private transportation? Because private transportation is not only a hallmark of the middle class, but it also enables you to have control of your time, which can really impact the way you, you perceive your life. And the other most important thing is we pledge what we call capacity building, which is you know, we don't want you in a data entry job for the rest of your life. We sponsor and invest in uh, education programs, English proficiency programs, as well as helping them to eventually build technical skills so they can take on higher skilled work. And Mike, you know, if you are uh, potentially on your end as as the CEO taking a haircut in profits, not so you aren't making profits, but a haircut, how do you remain competitive when you're trying to contract for a job, get a new client? So my sales department will tell you that our prices are generally lower um, than our, especially our larger competitors. And that's because though we are working now to try and prove this, that the way that they run their companies creates a lot of extra cost in keeping it, in keeping it all together that we just don't have. 
The most obvious is what's called attrition training, right? So that is when when your attrition rate, as it is in the Philippines, is over 100% a year, which means you're turning your workforce over every year. Wow. Let me stop with that one again. On average, the average call center in the Philippines turns over their workforce every year. When you don't do that, and we don't, our annual attrition rate is 7% annual, um, what happens is your, your cost basis comes way, way down. That's just factor number one. So the way we run our environment sort of eliminates all of these costs. Big factor number two is, is what you asked about, Sandy, which is going back to this concept of work ownership and quality. In general, we our folks produce a much better quality product because they want to be there. They want to work. They see the job not just as a job but as a way to progress in their lives. Yeah. Well, and they have lots of experience, right? If you're turning over an entire workforce every year, you don't have any employee who's had more than 12 months of getting to know the product or, you know, whoever they're right. contracted for. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio powered by the Wharton School, and we are speaking with Mike Dershowitz, who's the CEO of Rethink Staffing. So, Mike, you know, one of the things we talk a lot about on this show is um, – you know, the consumer preferences and trends for greater social impact. Mm -hmm. And one of the areas that is curious is these sort of B2B companies where they're not the brand most people know. So let's say you contract for, I'm just going to make this up, you know, uh, a Starbucks call center, right? We know the brand Starbucks as consumers, but we're not going to be able to sort of know that Rethink Staffing is their staffing agency. You know, how are our consumer preferences driving your clients to uh, prioritize you guys or because it's a little harder for the consumer to see? Is so that a hard case to make? You're like going back to the scope yeah. of influence, right? Yeah. Like thinking about that pressure throughout yeah. the supply chain, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. So so consumer brands where – uh, a contact center or other work is being done that interacts with the consumer, those consumer brands are thinking about it a little bit harder than everyone else. Got it. There's no doubt about it. Um, when you go to the conferences, you know, and, and I talk about what we're doing, you know, the, the deeper conversations I'm having are certainly with, the, especially, you know, in categories like apparel and cosmetics mm -hmm. and, you know, things like that that are, you know, where people are really taking the time to think about why they're buying that, you know, whatever that product is. So there's definitely some of that. Um, you know, the the industry itself um, and the outsourcing industry globally is about $100 billion. Um, the industry itself is, is, is thinking about, you know, look, you know, what is our responsibility to society here? Mm -hmm. um, you know, in most of the places where the industry has really grown and when we talk about where jobs have been stolen to or where they've gone, you know, these are places with centuries-long history of labor exploitation. Mm -hmm. You know, at first it was cotton and then it was oil and now it's call centers. Um, and so, you know, unfortunately, these are centuries-old habits to break in capitalism. And I think that's that's what I'm saying. I'm saying, like, you know, as capitalists, I am a capitalist, but we have mm -hmm. some habits to break. Yeah. Yep. Um, and the, the, the challenge is, is that the buyers, they know it, and it checks. Right now it's checking the box. You in know, terms of a, this is an, in, a, an ethical In their decision-making, it's checking the box. Hey, we found this company. They totally know what they're doing. Oh, and by the way, you know, their mm -hmm. social impact, et cetera, et cetera. It's checking the box. I would like, obviously, I would like to see it do more than that. And, you know, the Rockefeller Center and the uh, IAOP have done work to try and push the thinking of, hey, think about where you put your dollars. Mm -hmm. You know, think about where you put your dollars and how, you know, you're going to spend them anyway. Right. You know, where can they have some impact? And, and you know, obviously, you know, thank you for, for having me here because we'd like to reach business leaders and, and get them to at least start to think about that. Yeah, especially if you're providing a what sounds like a higher quality product. I mean, we love business models like this because they're 
win-wins. You know, if you have better employee retention and better employee quality, you save money because you're doing it so you can offer a higher quality product at a same or lower price and improve the lives of all these individuals. Like these are models that the economics will support in perpetuity without the need for you know, people doing these things because they feel they're the right thing to do. Well, and, you know, I, I rail often on this show, you know, like my, a lot of my family works in manufacturing. I see how, you know, they are treated here in the U S. Um, I also, you know, I, I have a family member who works in a call center here in the U S and, um, has worked at a couple different ones. I think very different environments, um, you know, required, which I didn't even know was a thing required, um, over time, et cetera, et cetera. And so, which, which is illegal by the way. According to U.S. labor law. I, I, I looked it up and I didn't find that. Yeah. So I, I'm fascinated. We can have a whole other conversation on that because I don't understand it. I do not know how you can. Dollars and changes quickly becoming investigative journalism. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, you mentioned that you are bringing some of your services to the U.S. So tell us a little bit about that, too. So about 18 months ago, a friend of mine, when I told him about how I was rededicating the company to anti-poverty, he, he said, and I told him about the Philippines and all the good we were doing there and, and the plans for expanding to other countries in the developing world. He kind of grabbed me by the lapels and said, you know, Mike, we've got poor people here too. Um, and he's right, right? Philadelphia is, is, you know, has the highest poverty rate of the 10 largest cities in the United States. And so I kind of looked at it and I looked at the conditions on the ground and the economics and I started building some models and it was clear to me that it could work here. So, uh, you know, last year we signed a lease uh, for a call center here in Philadelphia in the Kensington neighborhood which unfortunately now Kenzo's is known as, you know, the heart of the, the opioid crisis. Yeah. Um, but it contains a lot of people um, living, you know, really in intergenerational poverty. Um, and because housing prices haven't increased in those neighborhoods like elsewhere, they, they just have no way to break the cycle. And the most, <clears throat> the most uh, damaging thing to um, anti-poverty is the, the inconsistency of work. And so, you know, we began an effort in the fall, um, not long after, you know, or not long before I met you, um, Nick, to try and convince business leaders in the region to, hey, you know, let's try and experiment with this Philly call center. Yeah. Um, and I will tell you, because I know you're going to ask it, you know, it's been challenging. Yeah, I was going to yeah. ask. How, well, let's, let's break it down into two dimensions. So um, not to oversimplify the work, but I'm imagining it as, you know, there's the finding, training and retaining talent. You know, in that community and making sure that you are, um, you know, able to staff appropriately. And then there's the uh, client side, making sure that, you know, (laughs) finding customers. It sounds like you're targeting uh, Philadelphia companies to sort of reinvest in their communities in these ways. Let's talk about both of those. So when it comes on the talent side, what's what's it looking like? Well, that's actually where we've been, um, <clears throat> where we've been pleasantly surprised. Um, you know, a lot of people, and I was on the phone with a prospect the other day, and they're like, "Well, you know, did, is there a sense of entitlement, you know, within the people that you would hire from?" I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" Uh, you I know, don't know where the entitlement would come uh, I from. Was, it was a curveball for me. I was, I felt like reaching through the phone and smacking him a little bit, to be honest with you, but I didn't. Um, and so, wh- what we find is that most of these people, the earnestness and the skills that they have, skills. What we find is that there are gaps, and. There are gaps here, there are gaps there, whether it's typing speed, you know, whether it's reading speed or whether it's just, you know, maybe some general, you know, business maturity, there are some gaps. So what we do is, is we've targeted, you know, three specific populations, the returning veteran, the um, uh, aging out of foster care population, as well as returning citizens. And we've said, look, we're going to employ from them first because they are the least, they have some of the, the lowest access to the labor market. 
in our economy. Mm -hmm. yep. And what that means is that they're going to come to us with an attitude like, I'm going to make this work. Sure. And we have, our first, we have our first employee now working on a trial campaign, one employee with one customer. It took me four tries to convince a customer to try it. And, um, you know, and it's working out great. It, you know, it's working out great. You know, he is so passionate. No pressure. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. I mean, he knows. He knows, yeah. you know, he, he knows that it's, it's, it's kind of all on him. But he's an older, you know, he's not older. He's, he's a little bit older than I am. And he's, you know, he's so, he's just so earnest and he wants to do it. Yeah. So on that side, to me, I feel like we have the information, the, the, we have what we need to fill these skills gaps and to make someone whole so that they're saleable to a client. Got it. So in the economic equation, the um, sort of demand of labor is there and, and of sort of appropriate equality. Let's talk about the, um, you know, supply of client side. Yes, let's talk about that. So unfortunately, in, in the sales process, we're finding that, you know, clients may want, they, they love what we're doing in Philly. They, they're very interested in it. <clears throat> and, you know, we maybe spend, you know, 80% of the conversation talking about Philly and then they buy you know, the Philippines or somewhere else. Is it cheaper? Of course it's cheaper. By a of lot? Of course it's cheaper. Yeah, it's less than half. Okay. And Are folks thinking or shifting their thinking? Because I, you know, I'm imagining a business leader. This is a two birds with one stone sort of thing where you could say, okay, we're spending X on, you know, building playgrounds in Kensington or whatever yeah. our sort of community development work is and the call, you know, our call center work in the Philippines. This is a way to, to do both together and potentially in a more meaningful way yeah. than uh, other transactional social impact efforts. I like that transactional social impact <laughs> efforts. Is that a um, is that a way businesses are thinking or we're not there yet? Uh, I mean, we're not there yet. I mean, I think they are thinking more in a the, they are thinking about blending. You know, they're thinking about blending offshore with onshore. And, and how does that make sense? Some that we're talking to are just saying, nope, you know, we want you know, we we, we need to keep these jobs in Philly, um, you know, based on who they are. Um, I you know, so in general, we're seeing more resistance to, you know, what we're attempting in Kensington than, I, you know, I would have hoped, to be perfectly well, honest. And it's interesting to me because, again, like, I certainly know that call centers exist in the U.S. My aunt works for um, – has worked for a couple. Like, when I call my cell phone company, they're like, hi, I'm so-and-so, and I'm in Joplin, Missouri. Oh, like, do they, they really? They are explicit yeah. about that. And I, because I think there's been a backlash, Huge too, backlash. Yep. Um, yep. around, you know, outsourced call centers, not just from an employment perspective, but, like, I can't get the quality, which yep. is a whole nother can of worms. Yep. But so, so I imagine that there is a market out there for you here in the U.S. But you know, no, there there is a market here, and, and, and you know, and don't misunderstand me. Like I'm, you know, I am I'm the typical impatient entrepreneur, right? Like I mean, I want it, I want it now. We you know, know your type, right? Worry. Exactly, right? I mean, you know, we're in here every day, probably. So, um, so that's part of it. You know, I mean, at, at its core, yeah. we really we've really only been at the sales effort about about four or five months. Yeah, and and it, sometimes that takes that first de-risking where of you're course. able to tell the story of this is the successful of model, course. but. Um, certainly, if you're, you know, if your business leaders out there and you're thinking about your supply chain and your investments, that blended thinking, um, the way we encourage listeners to think about all they do is an investment, like your time is an investment, where you choose to work mm. is an investment, your 401k is an investment, your checking accounts, invested money, thinking as a business about the social impact of every dimension of what you do, not, well, that's our foundation or philanthropic side, this is our staffing model and they're separate. But these are opportunities that, you know, it's it's less it's more shades of gray and less black and white than ever before. That's right. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm, I've have certainly come to the capitalistic side being at Wharton for sure. But I do feel like there's this sort of effort like we've stripped out value from the company to go, in my opinion, to, you know, 
a, a select few versus reinvesting in your employees, which mm. has had, I think, tremendous ripple effects across our economy. That's right. And and, and I think that gets to the core of, of what we're attempting with Rethink Staffing, which is, you know, we, we don't want to be purely a profit-maximizing business. We're not a not-for-profit. And customers, by the way, wouldn't buy from us if we were. You know, we have to blend, which right. is this social impact model. And frankly, I think, you know, here at Wharton, there's an opportunity. You know, there's an opportunity to say, and Nick, you know, you and I spoke about this, to say to business, you know, to, to MBAs, hey, which one are you going to choose? Are you always going to be profit-maximizing? Are you going to be not-for-profit? Or you know, do you know that there's another way? Yeah. There I, is another way. <laughs> I think that's a great way to, to end the segment, segment. Thanks so much for joining us. Mike Dershowitz, the CEO of Rethink Staffing. We're going to take a short break, but stick with us. This is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 